Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, the annoying voice of podcasting, and you're listening to the non-annoying Three Guys in a Flick. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. When you join my command, you take on a debit, a debit you owe me personally. Each and every man under my command owes me 100 Nazi scalps, and I want my scalps, and y'all get me my 100 Nazi scalps, taken from the heads of 100 dead Nazis. Or you will die trying. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Inglorious Bastards. Beware spoilers. Coming to you from the basement of a French tavern... You didn't say the goddamn rendezvous was in a fucking basement. I didn't know. My name is Don. And to my right, formerly the comic book guy, now the bear Jew, this is John. Hey. Hey? That's what I... You're the bear fucking Jew and I get hay? This dude's beating Nazis in the head with a fucking baseball bat and I get hay? And to my left, the Professor Ken. Hello, everybody. Joining us again for round two, our longtime listener, this is Nolan. I never left. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Feeling chipper. You made me watch another war film. Uh, I didn't make you watch jack shit, so... Who did make us watch this? You know what? I'm glad you brought that up. We pulled this movie out of the Bronco helmet, and it was submitted to us by three of our listeners, Ronnie, Haley, and Colby. Hope you enjoy the review. Yeah, I can't complain too much about it being a war flick because it is also a, a Tarantino movie. And we here at Three Guys do like us a Tarantino movie. This is number three, three. for mm-hmm. the Tarantino. So, yeah. Kill Bill 1 and 2. Yeah. yeah. So, John, you don't dig a war movie? No, I just, there's two things that really bugged me about this movie. Is First of all, I'm not a big fan of war movies. I don't know why I could just never get into them. And two... I just don't like movies that are heavy with uh, foreign or foreign language. Um, having to read my movie because I find it distracting. Well, there is definitely a lot of subtitles. Yeah, I guess it's only thirty-three uh, percent of the movie is in English. Yeah, yeah. Well, if anything, QT is authentic, mm-hmm. right? Not in particular. Uh, there are war movies that are great movies, and uh, I think I would pick a war movie over a musical. But overall, uh, war movies aren't part of my top five genres or enjoyable movies. Nolan, you got a movie genre that you don't particularly care for and you stay away from by choice? Not really. I think I'm pretty, like, I like Musicals? I have, you'll, you'll do a musical? Yeah, I'll do them. They're definitely not my favorite. But I think I just have, like, I can find a couple movies in every genre that I appreciate. I don't have a high tolerance for horror movies. I really like the... Like the plots of some of them I find very interesting, but in terms of just like being able to enjoy the experience without concentrating on like jump scares or anything like that, I don't have a high tolerance for that other than that. What about you there, guy? I'd say that musical and or horror are are things that I, in general, migrate away from. What about foreign language films? Are you you okay with them or you prefer to stay away from them? No, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I like foreign language films because to me, I would rather have... Like, if a character is Italian, I would rather have them speaking Italian than speaking English in an accent or something like that. Like, if sure. 
I like having characters' language match where they're from rather than everyone just speaking English with an accent. Right. Released on August 21st, 2009, Inglorious Bastards was directed by Quentin Tarantino. Screenplay by Quentin Tarantino. And it stars Brad Pitt, Christoph Waltz, Michael Fassbender, Eli Roth, Diane Kruger, Daniel Brühl, Teal Schwager, Melanie Laurent, August Dell, Julie Dreyfus, Sylvester Groth, Jackie Ito, Dennis Marcone, Mike Myers, Rod Taylor, Martin Waku, and a bunch of other actors. And how did this movie perform? This movie had a $70 million budget and brought in $322 million. Ooh, that's a bingo. <laughs> yes. Yes, it fucking is. And especially for Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, this was a, uh, a, a popular movie for Quentin, relatively speaking. This came out in the summer, didn't it? Yeah, August. Yeah, and so this is the first time that he is able to have a box office draw in the summertime. And so... That's traditionally not what he has done. And for the most part, you know, he has had a cult following that supports his movies. But this movie ended up being a, a really good haul for him. Out of all of his movies, which one do you think was the most uh, fiscally successful? I am going to say it is probably, is it Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I was thinking uh, Django or Django. Django Unchained. Django Unchained. What is? Uh, do you have a guess there, guy? Seeing as you've only seen three of them, four of them. Actually, I have seen Django, so yeah, I, I think it's Django. It is Django. Django's number one at four hundred and fifty million. Ah, number, gotcha. Number two was Once Upon a Time at three seventy seven. Number three is Inglorious Bastards at three seventeen. What's his least, most successful fiscal, fiscally speaking, movie? I'm going to say it's Jackie Brown. Is it that he directed or that he wrote? Of the Quentin Tarantino nine, he calls them nine okay. movies, but it's ten movies. Because uh, I was originally going to say True Romance, but um, I'd probably go with Jackie Brown. It's probably one of the ones I haven't seen. It's Reservoir Dogs. Oh, oh interesting. Reservoir Dogs made in the box office $2.99 million. Ah, that one is a special taste movie. Like if, if you can't deal with violence, it's a hard movie to watch. I I suppose. Yeah. I suppose. But it's, if you can't deal with violence, why are you watching a Tarantino movie? Well, if you don't know about Tarantino to begin with. Hyper-violent, fast-talking movie. Yeah. Yeah. So in general, I would say that all here are Quentin Tarantino fans. Yes. I, I would, I would agree. I go back and forth. Like, what? I, yeah, I really do. It's, uh. I, I tend to have a trend with Tarantino movies where I hate them the first time I watch them. I love them the second time. And then it's Ex just example example, uh, Pulp Fiction. What? Yeah. Pulp Fiction. I absolutely hate it. The first time I watched it, this movie, um, as well as I'm trying to think what? Uh, the hateful eight as well. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's been the trend with, I've, I guess I think, are those the only three I've seen? I think those are the only three I've seen, but it's like, Love it the first, or hate it the first time, love it the second time, and then any other watch after that, it's like I like it a little less. So, is this the first time you've seen Inglorious Bastards? No, I, I, this is probably like the fifth or sixth time I've seen it. Okay, sorry, I'm going to go on a little tangent here, but uh, I feel like every Quentin Tarantino movie, I like it for a huge chunk of it, and then he makes one twist or one turn that just completely turns me off of the movie. So, for like most of his movies, I like most of it. And then he makes one decision where I'm like, why the hell did you do that? 
Interesting. Tarantino spent over 10 years writing this script. I know, yeah. And yeah. it, I think it shows because it is pretty fucking brilliant. Yeah. It is a great script. Now, I will be one of the first to admit I think that this movie drags just a little. I think it's a bit long. You think that for every movie that's not 90 minutes. <laughs> that, that is actually a fair statement, Professor, but here I think I felt it more. How about that? My issue, and this is where I think I, I disagree with Tarantino himself, Tarantino said his favorite scene was the dialogue in the bar scene. But for me, that's the scene that dragged the most. So you're disagreeing that it's his favorite scene? I'm disagreeing that that was the best scene of the movie. He felt that that was the best scene in the movie, and I feel like that's the scene. To me, my opinion was not the best. It was just, it, it could have been, it was really good. The dialogue was amazing, but I just got bored with it. I didn't need all the game playing with the other Germans early on. And <laughs> At one time, Tarantino considered making the film a miniseries, but ended up trimming it down. I actually think the movie would have, it wouldn't have dragged so much, but I would have preferred it as a series if it was like four one-hour episodes or break up each chapter, make them each a little bit longer, and have a mini-series with four to five episodes. I think I would have liked that. And with Tarantino, uh, you get a very consistent director. Uh, his fonts are the same. His uses of chapters are the same. And it's him wanting you to uh, see the story and uh, comprehend the story the way he wants you to do it. He's very deliberate in how he does things. Yes, it could feel like it's dragging, but what he's doing is he's building up the suspense and making it a very tense situation for that 10 seconds of violence. Let me ask you guys this question. Obviously, uh, Tarantino takes some uh, liberty in kind of revising history in this movie. Uh, did you have any problems with it not being historically accurate? None at all. Not at all. I kind of did. The first time I watched this movie, I was like, the ending was, it was very shocking to me, but it just felt like he did it for the shock value of knowing that it's going off. Like everybody has this expectation, oh, Hitler's not going to die from this or something. And then he's doing, again, when I first saw this movie, I thought that was kind of odd. I didn't have much appreciation for it. Sure. What about you? Uh, For me, there, you know, the way the education system works, there are actually people out there who think that like some of these movies are historically accurate. So there's going to be some kids out there, some people out there who really think Hitler died in this theater during a fire. Um, so they don't understand, you know, the re- revisionist history. In actual history and some of the stuff that this movie is based on, there were a lot of attempts on killing Hitler. In fact, there was one that was really close that he attended this thing that, that a bomb went off and he escaped. He didn't get killed. So I kind of wish that that had happened in this movie, that Hitler had escaped in kind of keeping up with that idea of Hitler escaping all of these attempts on his life. It bothered me a little bit that it didn't like tell us early on this is revisionist history. Yeah, I can see that. There's a, probably a lot of history buffs that get upset about it. And I'm like, well, and this is just for me, this one's more fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, we fucking hate the Nazis, right? Well, that's that what leads me into another issue that I have in this movie. And there was a, a film critic who named Daniel Mendelssohn who was critical of the film of the depiction of the Jews and the overall revisionist history aspect in that he felt like this movie made the Jews just as violent and just as nasty as the Nazis in that you almost couldn't tell 
who were the bad guys in this movie because the Jews in this movie are committing atrocities just like the Nazis would. And so I think as a Jewish person, that's something I think that also kind of stuck out with this movie and kind of affected how I felt about this movie in that the Jewish people were stooping to the levels of the Nazis. Uh, did you think that before or after you read this article? I thought that way before the first time I saw this movie. This was actually, I think, the second time I've seen this movie, and I thought it the first time I saw this movie. Interesting. And that, uh, you know, just just made them so violent. Which Jewish people did they make violent? The scalping, the whole scalping thing, and leaving the bodies and just wanting to kill them. Uh, most people know, like, you know, I've accepted as a Jewish person that a lot of the Nazi soldiers, a lot of the German soldiers were forced into it. I mean, they were basically, a lot of them believed in it and were behind Hitler and all that. But a lot of the people like in Austria and Poland who were forced into the army were told, you either serve or your family will die. Okay. So these are the people who are getting scalped. These are the people who are being treated like they're horrible, you know, enemy Um when a lot of them were forced into it. So it, it's, hard, it's a hard pill for me to swallow. Okay. There you go. I was happy to see that scene uh, where that guy, you know, had just had the baby, Maximilian baby. Uh, did he live in the end or did he get killed? Oh, he got shot. Will he? Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. kind of hoping to see he, him. He did. Because that, that was almost a redone scene from Kill Bill with the whole, remember when she announced she was pregnant? Yeah, it did remind me of that. And there's two musical cues. That are, it's the same exact music mm-hmm. from Kill Bill. Yep. So, and they use one of the actresses, same actress from Kill Bill, playing almost the same role. Uh, yeah, almost. Yeah. Almost. In this movie, was there a character that jumped out at you? The Jew Hunter, Hans uh, Landa. He, uh, I know when Tarantino, one of the things that really stopped him from making this movie a long time is he didn't think he could cast that character. Because he thought nobody could play that character right, and then when this guy auditioned, it was it was magic. He knew perfectly this was the person to play that role. Speaking of this guy, Christoph Waltz, brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, won an Academy Award for the role. He sure shit did. Speaking of which, this movie was nominated for eight Academy Awards. This was the most Academy Awards for Quentin nomination until Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but yeah, so. It won for supporting actor, but it did not win for the other seven. One went to Avatar for cinematography. The rest of them, he got beat up. He got hurt by the Hurt Locker because the Hurt Locker took the rest of them, the other six that it was up against. Yeah. Yeah. And did you ever see the Hurt Locker? Oh, yeah. Jeremy Renner? Yeah. Absolutely. I don't think I've ever seen it. It's a good watch, Yeah, but it's a war movie. Yeah. But back to your question, was there a character or actor that stood out to you uh yeah uh londa uh christoph waltz i mean he stole the show mm-hmm. i hated that fucking guy mm-hmm. hated him he did his job what do you think of christoph uh christoph waltz is one of my favorite actors uh not just because of how well he acts in all of his roles but i i'm pretty sure if i remember correctly he can speak six or seven lang- like five six or seven languages like pretty damn well. Like, I mean, it's shown off in this movie for sure, but I think just like person, like I just really admire that, but I'm also very into language learning. So. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think of Brad Pitt? He was awesome. I thought, I thought he was okay. I, I, it seemed really, the character he was playing seemed a little bit out, you know, 
I don't know how to explain it. Over the top? The odd man out kind of, you know, this, the voice and the mannerisms didn't fit the look to me, in my opinion. Interesting. But I thought he did, he did a great job. It's just did something that felt odd to me. To me, I kind of felt that, uh, like the character, uh, what's his name? Aldo Rain. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's like you were saying it's a bit over the top. And to me, it seems like it's something that he leaned into just like to, I don't know if it was like to inspire his men or like to seem more like fierce, you know, like it was just, uh, I, I felt like it was, there was a different character beneath that. And he put this on purpose. Like he, he had this over, like over the top mannerisms on purpose. Yeah. He yeah. Felt, yeah. It was, it was definitely done on purpose. He felt very John Wayne to me. A little bit. A little bit. What did you think of him? I loved him. Uh, I'll watch Brad Pitt act out of a box because in my opinion, Brad Pitt is one of those actors, and I get shit for this all the time, uh, that when you look up on the screen, even though he's so pretty, I don't say that's Brad Pitt. I say that's Eldo Rain or that's whoever he's playing. Uh, and so I thought he took this role and just fucking ran away with it. Yeah, I th- I think he's just really distinctive in this in this role, and you know, I, I think that he really stood out. I, I really enjoyed the depiction that he gave. You know, he's he has other really strong characters as well, and and you know, when, when you think about some of his other roles, you know, uh, you know, like uh, Ocean's Eleven, Fight Club. I know you don't like Fight Club, but you know, he was so funny in Burn After Reading, his character, and I, I loved what he did in Seven. And Legends of the Fall, he's so damn pretty. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then Thelma and Louise. You know, he's got... Do you have other Brad Pitt roles that you like? Or do you have a favorite Brad Pitt role? I was just about to ask. Um, I think I enjoy... In anything, really. Uh, Rusty Ryan is a, is a, yeah, is yeah. a crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. Seven, crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, when he plays the stuntman. I thought he was great in that too. So uh, yeah, well, he won an Oscar for that supporting actor. Did he? Yeah. Oh, where the fuck have I been? <laughs> what about you? I was actually thinking Snatch was one of my favorites. Um, the other one is he's awesome in Snatch. I, I liked him in Troy. I did too. I just thought Troy was depressing. Oh, how about you, Nolan? Do you know who Brad Pitt is? Yeah, I know who Brad Pitt is. <laughs> um, uh, in terms of other roles, I liked him in Fury. I think he was really good in Fury. Another solid one. Yeah. Yeah. So, Did what about you, you there, okay? Uh, I, I really like Rusty, you know, Oceans. But but here, he's he's fucking awesome in this. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. I, I just love his mannerisms being as exaggerated as they are. You know, his twang, the, the, the chin. Yeah. You know, he, he's great in this. Uh, apparently, as a little side note, Tarantino's universe sometimes connects up. A lot of the characters are supposed to connect up. And it's somewhere along the way, uh, it was connected up that uh, Aldo is the great-great-grandfather of Brad Pitt's character in True Romance, who's on the couch. Uh-huh. So I did not know that. I didn't know that either. Until I didn't I know it. that either. Yeah. yeah. Because it's not revealed to us in any way. But somewhere that came up in an interview or something. And, you know, Tarantino, he probably just made that up on the spot. Mm-hmm. And he can. It's his fucking character. You know what else Brad Pitt does a lot of? He does a lot of producing. Yeah. He is producer heavy. Yeah, he really is. I was really surprised, you know, uh, the volume of work that he's done for pr- producing. Yeah. But wasn't he great in Deadpool too? Oh my gosh. Fantastic. <laughs> Just that, that glimpse. The best death scene ever. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, speaking of Deadpool 2 and Marvel, what'd you guys think of Michael Fassbender? 
I love him just about and everything. And I thought it was funny to read that he is fluent in German. Yeah. And so he had to play a character who wasn't fluent in German and had to try to speak German with a different accent, like a British accent. So I thought that was interesting. But I, I've loved just about everything I've seen him in. Yeah. What do you think of Magneto? Magneto? Uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm not very familiar with uh, uh, Michael Fassbender. I, I don't know a lot of... I'm not a huge Marvel fan, so I this is the only movie I really know him from. Uh, I'm trying to think, I like you were talking about with the accent. I think he did a great job because, uh, like you were saying, he is fluent in German and he was able to kind of put on this British accented German. Sure. Um, which to me, like I took German in high school and I studied German in college and I did a study abroad in Austria and it was like you could tell that the accent is there. Like it was. Oh, really? It was spot on for like a foreign person who could speak German fluently, but not nail the accent. Oh, interesting. Which I, I'm not fluent in German by any stretch, but it's, it is noticeable. And just maybe because I've learned German, I find that like a much, a very neat aspect of that scene. Yeah. Eli Roth, who is a director, uh, gets cast to be the bear Jew. Did you know who Quentin Tarantino first offered the role to? No. Yes. I heard it was Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. He's a Jew boy. He is, but he's off doing funny people and can't do this. And fuck, what a movie if Adam Sandler is the bear Jew. He would have had to really pump up because I know Eli Roth really pumped himself up for this movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think this movie's better with Sandler in it. But, so? but I'm a big Adam Sandler fan, so. I always get Eli Roth, the look of Eli Roth, confused with Zach, Zachary Tarantino or Zachary Quinto. Spock? Yeah. Really? I, I don't know why. They always looked similar to me. Maybe it's the dark hair. Yeah, and the eyebrows. What do you guys think of the Bear Jew, Eli Roth, in this role? He was good. Yeah, I think he was good. I think if Adam Sandler had that role, he's one of those actors where I think um, him personally like takes over the character more so than the other way around. Like I think he's the opposite of Brad Pitt where... Like, uh, I would only be able to see that as Adam Sandler beating someone to death with a baseball bat. Maybe, but have you seen his more serious work? Uh, no, I didn't. Did you ever see Uncut Gems? No, I did not. His most recent no. kind of serious one? Check that out. He That was a Adam, good movie. Yeah, Adam Sandler's a better actor than people grab him credit for. No, and I, I bet you he would have taken this role and you would... I bet you he would have transformed and maybe changed that perspective for okay. you. I think I'm on the same side as Nolan in this because if you look at Mike Myers in this movie... I kept waiting for Mike Myers to say something funny, to do some kind of weird character or Austin Powers or, you know, one of his characters kind of pop out in his dialogue. I think I would have done the same with Adam Sandler. I'd be waiting for, okay, where's the punchline? But you, but Mike Myers didn't. Yeah, I know he didn't, but I'm just right. saying, looking at Mike Myers in this movie, I kept thinking that as I'm seeing, I'm seeing the his character, play, you know, the characters he played during his whole scene. Sure. Yeah, I, I, he was a little bit of a distraction to me in the movie because it's like what's mike myers doing in this but then again you know he did have another serious role in the uh the queen movie the record producer bohemian rhapsody thank you yeah right because yeah. you know and he was it was a total totally serious role and yeah. there he is in there but i'm looking at it's like what's mike myers doing there yeah i see him in the makeup and i'm kind of with you there john i'm thinking okay he's gonna do a fat bastard impression or do something right but he doesn't and it's fine. It, what threw me off with Mike Myers was the makeup. Do you know who Mike Myers is? No. Have I'm you so, ever seen Austin Powers? No, I have not. What? No. Uh, so for me, anytime I'm watching a movie, I, I think with most things of art, I don't tend to follow 
directors, actors. Like for me, it's like I just kind of take them on a case by case basis. Like I, I don't purposely seek out movies because there's a certain actor or a certain person directs it. Like for me, just like narrative structure is the most important thing to movies. So I'm usually just looking for a story that interests me, and I don't. Well, good for you. Really care who's in it. Yeah, well, that's a great way of looking at it. I wish I could. Yeah, but no, I'm working with these clowns all the time, and now I got to who directed it. How much money to make? How many awards to get? When do they start singing? Uh, in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean in a movie? When yeah. do they start? Oh, I got you. I got you. I got you. Is it about that time? Uh, yes, Fraulein. It is about that time. Welcome to another edition of Master Movie Trivia. I am your reigning champ. You may call me the champ. I have compiled five questions and five questions only to test your knowledge of the movie we are reviewing. Each question could be worth multiple points, so if you know the answer, say it. And please wait until I finish each question. Let us begin. How many Nazi scalps did Aldo require from each of his bastards? 100. Very good. Lieutenant Aldo Reigns and Colonel Hans Landa had nicknames. Name them. The Jew, Aldo the Apache. The Apache, Aldo the Apache, and the Jew Hunter. Yeah, I think you guys all got it. Christoph Waltz won two Oscars, both for Quentin Tarantino movies. Besides Inglorious Bastards, name the other one. Django Unchained. What does Shoshana use as kindling for her master fire? The film. Film. Where are you, guy? I, I, I mean, they say it before me, but I'm like, <laughs> it's, the correct answer is already out there. Like, All right. And question number five. Where does Colonel Londa want the U.S. to buy him property? Okay, you're all fucking disqualified because I didn't finish the fucking question. You were the only one that didn't say anything. I said. Yeah, oh, he said I said. I was trying to give you one out there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, since none of you can follow the rules, I'm going to disqualify all of you from this round. So fuck you all and have a nice day. <laughs> In 1941, SS Dan Hans Landa interrogates French farmer Pierre Lapetite, suspecting that the Lapetites are hiding a Jewish family, the Dreyfuses, under the floorboards. Lapetite confirms this to spare his own family, and Landa has the hidden family shot but allows Shoshana Dreyfus to escape. Three years later, U.S. Army Lieutenant Aldo Rains recruits Jewish-American soldiers to the Bastards, a black ops commando unit instilling fear amongst Nazis in occupied France by killing and scalping them. The group includes Sergeant Donnie, the Bear Jew, Donowitz, rogue German Sergeant Hugo Stiglitz, and Austrian-born translator Corporal William Wicke. In Germany, Adolf Hitler interviews a German soldier who reveals that Reigns carved a swastika in his forehead after massacring his squad. So this movie opens up very Quentin Tarantino. Once upon a time in Nazi-occupied France. And we open up to this farm, and we have this French family going about their business, doing their chores. Such a badass scene. And the guy, the the I guess the father of the house or, or the the father, mm-hmm. you know, he notices that there's some cars and a bike coming, and we know that the Nazis are coming. And you know, he just settles down and he's he's stealing himself 
for what may be unfolding. He doesn't know what, but he, you know. He knows something's happening. He knows exactly why they're coming there. Oh, sure. Because they suspect something. Sure. This is where we are introduced to Colonel Hans Landa, Chapter 1. The Jew Hunter. The Jew Hunter. And this is Quentin Tarantino's opening for this character to us. And you know what's so fascinating about him is that he's so polite. He's so the opposite of what you expect a German to be, you know, if he's a Nazi, right? He, he should be, you know, harsh and cruel and, 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 and selfish. But he's so gregarious and, and gentle. And if you ask me, that's scarier no than shit. what we were expecting. Well, it's also the fact of the way that he's calm and relaxed and gets into your head. Yeah. You know, the, the whole bit with the milk, right? Ugh. And 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 it it is just so smartly written, and and then to have you know the girls excused out of the house, and then to have it switch over to English, for us, it's like wow, this is just so beautifully done. I found myself during the scene looking for like reasons why he's doing each thing, and I thought maybe is he is he asking for the milk to see if the hand shakes as the milk is pouring or brought to him, you know, is there this that. No, it just all seemed to be getting into the guy's head. And he knew. He knew that the uh, the Jewish people were there. That or he had a sixth sense. And he comes out, and it's very official. He's coming out to do his job. It's probably nothing. Oh, can I have a glass of milk? You know, and he is so calm. And so deliberate. You know, like just like when he opens up his book and he gets his ink pen out, you know, it's just like... You are, you are watching this. It's like, what is he doing? And then he's just so efficient and official, and he's doing the same thing in the reveal of your hiding enemies of the state, aren't you? And he is so good at what he's doing that he just simply looks at Le Petit and says, you're hiding uh, Jews here, aren't you? And the guy has no choice but to start weeping and shake his head yes because he is so scared about what's about to happen. It, it, it's the, it's the gaze that Landa gives him. You know, it, it is the, the gaze is just steel. Yeah. You know, icy cold. Well, the the scariest moment I think for me in the scene is when he sends the girls outside because all I kept thinking was that's where the soldiers are and they're probably now pointing guns at those girls depending on what his answer is going to be. It's also really, really cool how the camera, we, as we are learning about what uh, Landa does, you have the camera slowly swinging around the back of Landa, and then the camera goes down to the floorboards, and we can see that there are people underneath the floorboards, and they are horrified because they have their hands over their mouths. And then when we come back up, you can get to see their eyes through the slats. Just, oh my gosh. The tension just goes up a hundredfold there. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> what do you think of this whole bit? Uh, it Outstanding, and you guys are doing a great job. I feel like I don't even need to be here. You're pointing out like all the same things I was thinking of coming into this. So, Well, fucking jump out and say it then, <laughs> okay? Because you're here. Yeah, yeah. A key thing, too, is he gives the, the French farmer the impossible choice, which is uh, you realize that if you tell me the truth... And if you are honest with me, then nothing will happen to you and nothing will happen to your family. And pretty much I already know that there are people here. So why don't you just go ahead and confirm it so that you guys can go on your way and live healthy while we take care of the rats underneath your boards? Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's what they do. And he is and and he's so gentle in his voice in not to give anything away to the family down below down below. And the way he just, you know, he mimics with his hands and then he, let's let's get your lovely daughters back in here, but it's the it's the soldiers instead. And then, you know, and then he finally says, you know, uh, what what does he say? He says, I do. I do. Yeah. And then they leave and or he leaves and then rat-a-tat-tat. I didn't remember the scene with Shoshana running away. Did you think she was going to get shot? Nope. When you originally saw it? No. When I originally saw it, I thought that there was a moment that she's going to get shot. But I didn't think that he was going to um, actually be the one to shoot her. I just kept thinking, this is what we would call a loose end. Yeah, she's a loose end. That you know by letting her go, we're going to have to circle back around to this. Did you think she was going to get shot or what did you think? No, I didn't think she was going to get shot. I thought like I thought she was going to get away. Yeah. Chapter 2. Inglorious Bastards. What would you guys think of this whole bit? Uh, it was great. I, I I fucking loved it. You know, we have uh, we have the whole story laid out before us. You know, in this that they're gonna go and be Nazi killers. Yeah, yeah. And the introduction to Brad Pitt's character and his Nazis. There's so much dialogue, and it's actually witty dialogue. Uh, Aldo gives you his backstory and tells you why he's doing this in a way that it just kind of flows. And I think that this bit, when he's talking to his recruits and telling him what he expects, I think is a brilliant scene as well. Have you ever seen the movie Legends of the Fall? Yes. I have not seen it, but there is, I don't know if it's called an urban legend. I don't think Tarantino's ever confirmed it. But the character, as Aldo describes himself throughout the movie, matches the background of his character that he's playing in Legends of the Fall. All I remember about Legends of the Fall are two things. One... Brad Pitt's hair, and two, crying through that whole fucking movie. I just remember he was, or I never saw it, but I read that he was a bootlegger also in that movie, and that's what Aldo was before he joined the army. He was a bootlegger. Yeah, yeah. And they never explain the scar around his neck, which people have figured is a lynching scar because it looks like they, maybe he was, you know, someone tried to hang him. Which people? Uh, just the internet itself. They, that's what they're speculating. I don't think it's ever been confirmed. Must because, be true. Well, Tarantino came out and said he will never explain what the scar is well there you go but i thought it was interesting to have that on him what did you think of eldo rain's introduction i think his introduction was excellent just that whole speech he gives is um it kind of it, it seemed like a lighter it, or his character and in being introduced seemed very similar to fury but just with like a slightly lighter or like more comical tone to it i think yeah uh did you know that quentin tarantino put the actors through scalp training Sure. You got to you got to be you got to do your due diligence. He told them that I think it was either the top 2 or top 3 best scalpers, he would give them close-ups during the film. Yeah, well there you go. I lo- I love the scalping scenes. They were so okay. <laughs> that sounds a bit harsh. Uh I liked the way they looked. Wait, no. <laughs> that that doesn't sound right either. Uh they looked pretty authentic. And I think my favorite one is when uh BJ Novak's doing it at the end before yeah. they get Lada. Just because yeah, right. they're just having such a normal conversation, and he's taking mm-hmm. off of someone's fucking scalp, and and they just fling him over their shoulder. Yeah, we cut to Hitler nine 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 nine, and he knows about the bastards, and he's having a fit about it, and he's he's interviewing. No, I don't want to say he's interrogating a soldier that has been left 
alive. And so it takes us back to where he is being yes. has been left alive. Uh, what did you guys think of this whole thing where he's uh, Reigns is talking to the uh, German colonel? And he says, uh, you're probably going to die, but we might go easy on you or, or whatever if you tell us what where they're waiting for us at. Uh, what did you guys think of that whole bit? The scene was really good, especially the setup, but it was a pretty brutal scene. Oh, I know. Yeah, extremely brutal. And I loved the buildup when he starts talking about, you know, have you heard of the bear Jew and all this stuff? And you hear that baseball bat just start in the tunnel. Uh-huh. And that just kind of built up the tension throughout that whole scene. Did you catch one of the names on the baseball bats? And Frank. And Frank. Yeah, I, I, I got it. It, it, it. The lead up to that, you know, Dottie, yeah, got a German here who wants to die for his country. Oblige him. And what I... I guess what I found shocking at the time and maybe even the other night when I watched it was Quentin doesn't cut away when he starts swinging the bat. We see the impact and we see what's going on. Uh, For me, I felt like they uh, built up the execution with the bat so much, but that first impact, like they don't cut away, but also seems like a lighter impact than my, the expectation had built. But to me that made the scene more brutal because like with the lighter first impact, like, you know, that guy felt like a few more hits after that and had to go through. Yeah. You don't knock him out cold. (laughs) Never start with the head. The victim gets all fuzzy. (laughs) And so while Adolf is interrogating the soldier, you know, they take off his hat and it reveals that Aldo and the bastards have carved a swastika in his fucking forehead. I love the reasons the reason why Aldo gives that he does that, which is you're going to go home and you're going to take off this uniform when the war is over. I can't oblige that. Yeah. Yeah. So fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. Is it better than scalping? Maybe. Infatuated with Shoshana, Zoller convinces Joseph Goebbels to hold the film's premiere at her cinema. Landa, the premiere's head of security, interrogates Shoshana but does not reveal if he recognizes her. She plots with her Afro-French lover, a projectionist, Marcel, to kill the Nazi leaders in attendance. So we're on to chapter three. And this is where we meet Shoshana, the survivor of the opening. She is now in France. Is it like four years later? It's three years later. I well, think. we, the audience, are told four years. Oh, okay, it's four years then. Um, and she's in France, and she's running this cinema. I have to say what I really enjoyed or what I really dig about this movie is how Quentin works in filmmaking and movies and just that art into this time period of World War II. This could have been set anywhere, but he wants to do it in a movie theater. And we all know that he is a true cinephile, and he loves fucking movies. So it makes perfect sense why I feel this movie flows and intertwines the two mediums, World War II and film. Uh, I think he does a really great job at that. Well, chapter three is also the only chapter where nobody dies. And we have no English throughout the whole chapter. I didn't even notice that. Mm. Well, not the no dying bit, but the no English bit. Would you guys think of Shoshana and her introduction and her just her whole being in this? Uh, she was she was great. I I think that having uh, Zoller being introduced, you know, it starts out as seemingly nothing, 
turns out that it's an integral part of our story. Yeah. So having Zoller being introduced like this where, you know, it's just at night and you're just striking up a small conversation. I thought it was going to go nowhere, but turns out, no, it's something. I just thought it was some guy on patrol striking up a conversation to just reintroduce us to Shoshani. Yeah, it, it took me a minute to realize, oh, he's the actor in the fucking movie. So what do you think? Uh, for me, I know it's not necessary for the plot or how the story flows through, but I kind of wish we had gotten more of how Shoshana was able to like reintegrate back into French society after running off, like how she survived that or if she got any help to get to the position where she was running the cinema. And I agree. I'm, I'm usually the person, Nolan, who will say that I usually like a little more background, a little more detail. But this movie is already so long that I actually appreciated not giving us that backstory. Sure. But sure. so, or going back to when when I was talking about how it could have been a miniseries, I think there you would have had the time to really go in depth there yeah. and like connect us more with Shoshana, like putting, yeah. knowing more about her. I mean, we already have reasons to like want to support her. Like she's survived having her whole family killed, but it's like yeah. you have more to root for. Well, let me ask you this real quick. Were you rooting for Shoshana? Well, I guess I just, I didn't want her to get discovered. Uh, Like you, you want her to be able to survive. I mean, I think in any movie covering like the Holocaust, the repression of uh, Jewish people in a world war two movie, like you want them to like be able to have a, like a better, brighter future. You don't want, it's just such a bleak period in human history. And it's like, you want the little victories everywhere. I think. Yeah. Well, bleak's a nice way of putting it. Plus, I was also going to say that um, Shoshana pretty much, I, I believe her when she tells her story about the aunt and the uncle. I don't think they were probably really her aunt and uncle, but it was a couple that took her in and ended up leaving the, the theater tour. I believe exactly what she said about how they died, all of that. So we kind of got her background. Story. Oh, I believe that someone left the theater tour yeah. for sure. So did I. Yeah. Yeah, I just took it at face value. And so uh, she says goodnight, and then she's in a cafe, and then he spots her in the cafe, and oh, he's somebody seems to know you. And all these people keep coming up to him mm-hmm. and wanting his autograph and all this, and so this is where we find out that he's a movie star, or a German well, he's movie a, star. He's a war hero. Oh, that's what it was, war hero. And uh, so this goes on, and... I thought it was kind of ballsy the way she asked him to stop pestering her. So did I, because in the in the times, you don't ask a German officer to do jack shit, mm-hmm. right? Because they are the kings of the world, and they can do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, because you're in an occupied country. Right. I kept thinking, too, at some point throughout this movie, his story of killing the 300 all on his own, you're going to find out there was some bullshit to that. I didn't realize that they made a movie about it. And I didn't realize that he was in that movie until we start getting into it. And I got to admit, this bit, uh, this whole chapter three, it's kind of where it drags for me. Uh, we get Shoshana and and Zoller in a restaurant, and then we get Shoshana at a dinner, and this is where uh, they start talking about holding the premiere of Nation's Pride at her cinema. Yeah, so it, it's it's a luncheon, and uh, we end up having Hans Landa sit down with them, and you're instantly thinking, oh, shit. So I was just going to say well, that. Yeah. I never once thought he was going to recognize her because the only way he ever saw her was the back of her head. He never saw her face. That's a fair point. Unless there was a picture he saw, but that we never saw him seeing a picture of her. He just saw her running away. But, but he, ha- 
his instincts, right? Yeah. Being the Jew hunter that he is, he has a knack. He has a, a, a certain uh, flair for this. I'll just say this. It wouldn't surprise me had he recognized her and known who she was because that's who he was. Did you catch the test he did on her? No. I don't, There's only one test in this movie that I recognized. I read up on it, but did you guys catch the test that he where he tested it has, her? It has to do with the dessert. Yes. He, he insisted on the cream for the strudel. Oh. They're making strudel. There's actually a little bit of like, I think it's beef fat in the recipe of that kind of strudel. And for a Jewish person at that time, it's very likely they would be kosher. You cannot mix dairy with meat. And so she, as a kosher Jew, would not be able to eat that dessert. There was one other little moment in uh, the luncheon that I really enjoyed when she is first brought to the table and Goebbels, he uh, extends his hand to shake her hand. But as he's extending his hand, he's wiggling his fingers. And the wiggling of his fingers coming at her, I felt like it was almost spider-like. It, it, it just felt really creepy the way he, his fingers were wiggling going to reach her hand. Yeah. And, you know, the, the fact that we have Landa starting so innocently with his conversation with Shoshona is just like how we have our conversation begin at the beginning of the movie. It's It just seems so innocent. You're just waiting for him to, you know... Drop something. Yeah, yeah. fucking anvil is going to crash right into the table and completely destroy whatever is happening next. And he doesn't. And, oh my gosh... I exhaled just like she did after he leaves the table. And that's the thing about Christoph Waltz's character here. No wonder he won the fucking Oscars. Every time he is on screen, I am uneasy. Because I don't know if it's genuine, if it's an act, if he's going to just pull out a fucking gun and shoot you in the head. He's fucking brilliant. Yeah, Donna, right. Earlier you were saying the scene kind of dragged for you, and I was kind of surprised because to me this is one of my favorite scenes because it's similar to the opening with that tension when Londo walks in. Like for me it was just the, it was just kind of like the, not the opposite, but like it paired with that opening scene, but instead of having the tension explode with the like murder of Shoshana's family, it's like the opposite where you get the relief like the from all the tension that Londo brings into all of his scenes, I feel like. But Shoshana's reaction after he leaves, where she just finally lets her defenses down, just the pure panic in her, I don't know if it was a sigh or breath or whatever, uh, that really spoke volumes too. Yeah, there's another scene that we'll get to toward the end where someone's look of panic on their face just was fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. And we get one other little uh, tug of uncertainty that Londa is in complete control here and he's about ready to drop shit down heavy when he orders an espresso and he orders for her a glass of milk. Oh, I thought right. that was weird. Yeah, too. that clued in. To, and which kind of makes you think he totally knows. Yeah. My point exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because it's like, oh, fuck. And then nothing happens. And then nothing <laughs> happens. <laughs> fuck you, Quentin. Uh, I got two more little things on that. Go the strudel it. looked excellent. I would have loved to eat that. It looks so good. But also, he puts out his cigarette in the dessert right before he leaves, and it's like he didn't even fucking finish it. He didn't finish the cigarette. It just it looked gross when he's sticking out of there, and I was like, why? It made me think, again, like I said earlier, it was a test, and he really didn't care about the dessert. Yeah. 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 Not even, not even a little bit. 
British Commando Lieutenant Archie Hickox is recruited to lead an attack on the Premier with the Bastards. Disguised as German officers, Hickox, Stiglitz, and Wiki meet the German film star Bridget von Hammersmark, an undercover Allied agent at a tavern in Nazi-occupied northern France. Hickox inadvertently draws the attention of Sergeant Wilhelm and Major Dieter Hellstorm, first with his unusually accented German and then by using a British hand gesture. Their cover is blown and a gunfight ensues, killing everyone except Wilhelm and a wounded von Hammersmark. Rain arrives and negotiates for von Hammersmark's release, but she shoots Wilhelm. Rain tortures Van Hammersmark, believing she set his men up, but she convinces him she is loyal and reveals Hitler will be attending the premiere. Rain decides to carry out the plan with himself, Donowitz, and Omar Elmer. Investigating the tavern, Londa finds von Hammersmark's shoe and a napkin with her signature. We get a brief little uh, narration done by Samuel Jackson that shares how volatile the uh, film is. And we get that because we need that for the next, uh, well, for one of the last parts of the movie. Right. So now we're on to chapter four. Operation Kino. And we have met our three main characters. Now we're going to move forward with the story. This is where we get Michael Fassbender, Mike Myers. Um, I like this chapter four. I thought this chapter four was fun. And I really, I think the bar, the tavern scene is one of my favorite scenes. And it's because it's so, I don't want to say normal, but it, the, the conversation leading up to everything is just so natural. Uh, you have Van Hammersmark at the bar, at the tavern, playing this card game with a bunch of Nazi soldiers who weren't supposed to be there, really. Did you catch the foreshadowing in the game? One of them had on their thing, Matahari, who happened to be a famous double agent. Oh, no, I, did. I didn't see the uh, Matahari card to begin mm -hmm. with, so I wouldn't have caught it. Um, what did you guys think of this bit? You know, I, I was curious how this was going to uh, be a part of our story. But, you know, the buildup, like you have mentioned before, when we have so much dialogue and then 10 seconds of violence, yeah, it works. The other thing, too, that I really liked, and it was kind of a little bit of foreshadowing, was right before we get into this tavern, Aldo's talking about who the fuck planned to meet in a basement. And so that tells us shit's going to go wrong in this basement if Aldo is feeling really bad about it. So we have Hickox and two others. They enter the tavern, and they find Von Hammersmark in there, actively engaged in the game, and pleasantries are exchanged. And so they decide that they can't leave immediately because it's going to look suspicious. So they should have a drink. And then Wilhelm drunkenly comes over to their table. And then just, you know, sort of out of the blue, you know, he says, you know, he, he questions his accent. And then once he questions his accent and then we have Stiglitz, uh, you know, rip his head off. Now we are introduced to another Nazi that's in the bar. I did not see this guy coming. Did you guys see this guy coming? Not no, at, no, no, all. at all. And as soon as he stands up and he's in the black officer's outfit, you're like, oh, yeah, fuck. He's a member of the SS. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, like, uh, Stieglitz moved to just chew out the soldier being like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this guy's an officer. Why are you talking back to him? Like, I think if the other officer, what's his name? Uh, Hellstrom? Hellstrom, I think. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, if he hadn't been there, they would have gotten away with this easy. Like it was. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, out of this entire bit, what was your favorite part? I loved how savvy the Nazi officer was to deduce King Kong. Yes, I did too. Do you I know like why they too. had King, the King Kong reference in it? Because King Kong is King Kong. It's Hitler's favorite movie. Oh, I did know King that. Kong. I did read that actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I don't like King Kong anymore. <laughs> Thanks, Hitler. Well, the original King Kong, that black and white version. What's the difference? The new one you can like with Jack Black. Why? Still King Kong, is it not? It's different. No, it's don't, not. Don't blame it on the ape. You, hey, listen, fucker, you're the one that brought it up. You're the one that said it. I didn't know that. Had I not known that, I would have continued to love King Kong. But now that you said... You've ruined it. Well, you Hit- ruined it. If Hitler liked ice cream, you would no longer eat ice cream? Correct. Okay. Would you? Yeah. I'm not letting him take it away from me. So there you go. What was your favorite bit? Uh, my favorite bit was definitely just the whole talk with the accents. For Well, again, because I studied German, I think I just like have that connection to it and i don't think i could identify like different german accents from like he could tell he was from munich or he could tell he was from frankfurt but to me like i could definitely or i think like i said before you could definitely tell that um he's not a native german speaker even though he speaks it perfectly right right what about you for me there was really two scenes but the main one that i really liked was the standoff with the guns. You know, I've I've had a gun pointed at your testicles since, you know, you ordered the drinks. Well, I had a gun pointed at yours since you sat down. And Stiglitz it's like, fuck you both. I have a gun pointed at it as well. And that and the, um, how he caught him, because we didn't find out till later how he really figured it out. And it was holding up the three. Yeah, I thought that was a, I thought that was a brilliant choice. Uh, I, I agree with you. I like when they are starting to point the guns at each other. And then uh, somebody tells Still Stiglitz, um, shoot his balls off, right? And then all the all the gunfire starts happening. Bam, 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 right? But what I like about this whole bit is the conversation between Reigns and Willem. Uh, he's saying, you know, we're, we're kind of stuck in a pickle here. Uh, let us come get our girl, and we'll just let you go. Do you think he would have really let him go? No. At no time did I think Wilhelm was going to survive this. Me either. Yeah, I thought he was toast. Uh, yeah, I, I like from a the movie watcher perspective, like I thought he was toast too. But like, I think if I were Wilhelm in that position, like you're fucked either. Like, I, I think I would have at least prayed that I had like some kind of mercy coming my way. But like, I, I don't think I would have just sat there all night and wait for do the whole standoff. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that they were setting up this big thing, there was no the way they could let a German go who could possibly spill the beans on any of it. Yeah, and maybe maybe Reigns' unit lets him go, but the fact that Van Von Hammersmart comes in and or just sits up and shoots him makes sense. So technically, Reigns kept his word. Yeah, he had no idea Von Hammersmack was going to do this. Mm-hmm. So also, I feel like she shot very well. Like she's like she's a total civilian, injured, like able to pick up a gun and just nail him from. I mean, he's pretty close range, but still. I thought that was, I mean, I know for the narrative she had to take him out, but I'm just saying like. She was you, a good marksman. Yeah, like if you were in her shoes, I I don't think I could hold a steady aim with a bullet in my leg. And Well, she has been a double agent for a while, so we don't know if this is the first person she's actually killed. Mm-hmm. I guess, but like she, they, they, I, they make the emphasis that like she is a civilian, like with having the meeting being where it is. And so sure. it makes me assume that she hasn't had any like. Yeah experience with weapons or and then like before all of this happens wilhelm wilhelm willem wilhelm the fucking nazi guy comes up and asks her for an autograph and she gives the autograph and she kisses it and when she does this i'm thinking uh-oh 
this is going to come back. Yeah. And sure as shit, after Aldo and the bastards get her out and take her to a vet, which seems to be the common place you take someone who gets shot in a movie like these. Naturally, the detective Landa comes in, he finds the golden slipper, and he finds the fucking napkin. I kind of appreciate it. A lot of times in these mystery things, they kind of play out the whole mystery of how did he figure what out and blah, blah, blah. It just made it simple. Yeah, the shoe and the autograph told us right away he knows exactly who he's looking for. I agree. I agree. I, agree. I, I like the interrogation that Rang gives to uh, Hammersmark. Ooh. That finger in the bullet hole or the thumb. And he just keeps pushing it in. <laughs> yeah. What a dick. That was it. But can you blame him? But can you blame him? Yeah. And, you know, you know what happens inside, you know, the Nazis being there looked odd. You know, we got a word for that kind of odd in English. It's called suspicious. And then he grinds his finger in. And when he does that, the camera angle is tilted. And, and, and I love that, that jarring tilt because, you know, it is just, you know, you feel her pain right there at that moment. Oh, agreed. And so then we're told about, you know, the next part of the plan, how it's going to unfold, and the fact that they don't speak German, you know, it's, you need tuxedos. This is what you're going to do. And so I, I, I love the reveal of what they're going to do. It's, oh, wow, crazy. And again, it's very uh, filmmaking focused, right? Uh, Brad Pitt. The Bear Jew and the other guy, uh, they're an Italian film crew. That's what we're going to tell uh, the people. And they're going to go to the premiere and... Yeah, you know. we're told that there's two things that have been changed. The venue has been changed to a much smaller venue. And the Fuhrer is attending the premiere. Do you know what that reminded me of? Anybody? No. When, when she says the Fuhrer is going to be there? Return of the Jedi. And we just learned that the Emperor himself is going to be on the Death Star. Mm -hmm. That's totally where that took me. I kept feeling like this. I don't know if this was a scene to, to show how these soldiers were just soldiers. They weren't, you know, brainiacs. They weren't, you know, super into the spy business because you think they would have looked for her other shoe or looked for any evidence of her when they kind of snuck her out. Instead, they left that stuff behind, which made it really simple to figure out that she was there. Oh, well, yeah. I think they would have been frantic, like all the gunshots going off and stuff like that. Like you're, if you're in a city, like it's going to draw attention and there's probably like German patrols around. Like they had to be pretty quick with their business after the fighting started. Right. I'd like to go back to uh, the bit when they're back in the vet still and he talks about, you know, I speak Italian and Donovitz, he speaks the second most Italian. Omar, he speaks the third most. I don't speak Italian. Like I said, the third best is shut your fucking mouth. In fact, why don't you start practicing it right now? Yeah. That line always cracks me up. I just, it's it's so well-timed and just Brad Pitt really sells it with that. It's so funny. And the delivery is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That right there turned Aldo into Don. <laughs> Thanks, guy. Because it sounds like something you would say, why don't you start practicing right now? There is some great lighting that happens when Colonel Landa is inspecting and he's the, and he's thinking out loud, this harsh overhead lighting of the officers because, you know, the, the other areas of the tavern are dark, but there is harsh, bright, bright light that is cast down onto the two soldiers as they talk back and forth and land is thinking out loud about, you know, what, what, transcribe, you know, what transpired here. And right. I, I really dug that lighting that he gave there. 
And, you know, the other interesting thing is that Landa recognizes two of the corpses as being bastards. Yeah, he knows. Mm-hmm. He's done He's done his fucking homework. And they even get into it when right. uh, they capture Reigns. Later on, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you think, I actually, like, this is a question I have for you guys. Do you think, if I'm remembering correctly in the scene when, they're, when he's uh, inspecting the bar, he picks up the shoe and he has the note. And then I think right after he sees both of those, he sends the other soldiers out. And to me, I thought, does is he intuitive enough to know that something's going down and he starts planning his route out when he flips later? Like, do you think he sends the soldiers out so he can formulate, like, like for example, he sees the note, knows Von Hammer's marks uh, involved and knows she's in town for the, uh, for the premiere and then kind of jumps to conclusions. Maybe they're going after the high command here, I need to start making my arrangements for my own safety. So he sends out the troops who like aren't loyal to, or I mean, I think it's all the troops, but like, it's just so he can have a moment where he's thinking, what do I do myself and not worry about? I thought that exact thing. I thought that that's where it started formulating. He was going to play both sides. I didn't, I didn't think he was going to play both sides until he's questions Von's hammers mark at the theater. I think that's when he, at least for me, I think that's where he comes up with the idea. I, I didn't, until we're sitting there and he's telling and he's Rains. telling us the audience. Yeah. yeah. I think and even then I thought it was bullshit at first. Well, I was gonna say, you know, I don't think I it clicked with me right then, but then when we get to the point where he's playing both sides, looking back, I thought, oh, that's where it started. Yeah, maybe. Rain, Donowitz, and Elmer infiltrate the premiere with timed explosives, while Londa confronts Von Hammersmark with her missing shoe before strangling her to death. Rain and another bastard, Smithson Yutvich, are discovered and taken prisoner, but Londa has Rain contact his superiors to cut a deal. Londa will allow the mission to proceed in exchange for safe passage through the Allied lines, a full pardon, and other privileges. During the screening, Zoller slips away to the projection booth and berates Shoshana for rejecting his advances, leading them to shoot each other dead. As the film reaches its climax, Shoshana's spliced-in footage tells the audience that they are about to be killed by a Jew. Having locked the auditorium, Marcel ignites a pile of flammable film behind the screen, setting the theater ablaze. Almer, Donowitz break into the opera box, gunning down Hitler and Goebel, and firing into the crowd until the explosives kill everyone inside the cinema, including themselves. Londa and his radio operator drive Reigns and Yutvich into Allied territory where they surrender themselves. However, Reigns shoots the radio operator before ordering Yutvich to scalp him and carves a swastika into Landa's head, professing it to be his masterpiece. Roll credits. When the bastards go to infiltrate this theater, did you think they going into it, they knew that they were going to die, like this was a suicide mission? I think so. Because I couldn't tell if the bombs around the legs were meant to be planted, because they ended up planting some bombs. Just one. Uh, or if they knew that they were going to die here. I think th- I think it was a kamikaze mission. Okay. I do. Uh, I think the only reason why uh, Brad Pitt's bomb gets planted is because uh, Landa finds it on Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. But Donnie and Elmer, they don't take theirs off. I thought that they did. Did they take them off and leave them in the seats? I thought they I put them underneath they, the seats. Oh, they might have been. But I thought when they detonated, they showed 
like there's like a foot in the scene, like the shoe in there. And there's the bomb right there. So I think they still have them connected while they're shooting. I thought the two did. And I thought the one underneath Hitler's chair was, was planted, planted by Londa yeah. only because he got it from Brad Pitt. Yeah. That's how I took it. That's how I took it as well. So, yeah. Either way, they were all going to die. Mm-hmm. To me, I guess I was also just surprised. I mean, I they knew it was a like a one-way mission, so to speak. But I, to me, I guess, I don't know. I'm just surprised that they were all able to go along with that you know i don't know if i were in their shoes i would be able to do the same so thing. so calm about yeah it. they're yeah. so calm collected i would i think i would be a lot more distraught and maybe unable to focus and fulfill my aspect of the mission maybe maybe was the best part of the scene uh brad pitt's uh italian with his accent his redneck accent see <laughs> his john wayne no it's it's the overhead tracking shot that we get of Shoshana leaving. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, akin to what we get from a shot of Kill Bill. It's an overhead shot. Mm-hmm. Again, consistent. And then after that shot, now we have Shoshana at the top of the balcony, and the camera follows her down the steps, and then we are she is brought to us where we have Goebbels and... Uh, Zoller talking about nation's pride. The camera follows a cigarette girl along and then the camera pans up and we now see Landa at the top of the landing and then Landa spots somebody and now the camera follows him down the staircase on the other side. It's one continuous shot. It's just gorgeous and it and it takes us to the reveal of Hammer's Mark and Rain and his little troop. Yeah, it, and it's so very reminiscent of Kill Bill, and this is where he kind of gets it. And Just gorgeous. And, and he has such a way with the camera and has such a way with uh, moving it, it that it's very, very, very Quentin Tarantino-esque. So Londa meets Reigns and Vans Hammersmark and the other people, and then he decides to talk to Hammersmark. Well, this whole scene, this whole meeting, there's a, a certain tension to it because you know that Landa already knows everything. He knows that they're all there to do something. Yeah. And so you know his first goal is going to be to separate them. Right. And so he does that really well. He sends the other two off to go to their seats. Aldo remains there, and he goes off with Hammersmark. Yeah. There's a, there's a moment just before that, though, when he asks, you know, what happened, what, what's happened to your lovely leg? And then she says it was a climbing accident. And then that awkwardly loud hysterical laugh that landa gives it it's it's very off-putting because he's laughing way too hard way too hard i get the feeling that that was on purpose because everything he does seems to be putting people like off their normal track oh i think he like just wants to get in their head and so that laugh really threw them for a loop i think it was very much on purpose yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah no doubt about it and then son of a bitch Landa speaks Italian too. God damn it. I saw that coming. But what I liked about it was that the other, they all responded like mm-hmm. it was nothing. Like yeah. they, they were ready for it type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like when uh, Landa keeps t- asking Reigns to where he's from. Was it? Or it does, isn't he asking them all their names? Like yeah. To say their names like Gorlami. Gorlami. <laughs> that's what it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> so he gets Van's hammer's mark alone. And I thought this was extremely tense. Because it takes you to the beginning of the movie. He knows, uh, Landa knows, and Van Hammersmark knows, but yet he's so 
coy about it. And so let me see your foot. And here we go with the Quentin Tarantino foot fetish. And it it feels awkward. And then he points to his, he points to his knee like now, like get your foot up here now. Yeah. And then the whole taking off her shoe felt very Cinderella. Yeah. Very much. So the red painted nails, like Quentin likes it. And then, uh, yeah, he puts the shoe on. It's like well, a perfect well, fit. He, he asks her, would you get, uh, there's something in my pocket. Would you get something out of my pocket? And that realization is she, she gasps. Yeah. She's she like, feels oh, it. fuck. Yeah. And then, and then what completely threw me off and what completely threw me off guard was she says, well, now what? And he just springs across the fucking room and strangles her. Did you read the behind the scenes on this? No. Uh, basically Tarantino decided he wanted realism in this. So he wanted her really choked to the point of passing out. Uh, no actors want to do that. Landa, he did not want to choke her for real. So those hands we are seeing, she agreed to it. She said, go ahead and choke me out. Uh, those hands we're seeing are Tarantino's hands around her neck. Hey, if you're not, if you don't ask somebody to do something if you're not willing to do it yourself. And he choked her to the point of passing out. Well, it fucking showed. And if she was okay with it. It fucking worked. I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I can understand uh, yeah. no actor wanting to do that. Yeah, it just, that kind of leaves me with a weird feeling. I don't know why, like, that fact. I I'd mean, fucking I, do it. I understand that she, like, agreed to it, but still, I think. It was just so savage the way he lunges at her. And which really, when he flips, is really odd then. It's out of yeah. character for It him. is out of character because he just killed her because they're going to uh, try and blow up the Fuhrer. And I think it's that moment. I think it's in this moment where he decides I'm going to flip. Well, it clicked to me. And again, this kind of, you know, from thinking about it after the movie is when he starts selling the idea of making the deal, he wanted to basically be their connection. He wanted to be their double agent. He didn't want there to be two double agents. He wanted to be her role in this deal. So that's when he said, you will let them know that I've been working with you all along on this and blah, blah, blah. So that's why I feel like he choked her out and killed her because he's replacing her. Right. But that's where he also gets the idea. Yeah. That's what I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, we have, we have them captured and they're taken off site. And I got to say, I I really wondered where this scene was going to go, you know, because they're plopped down and there's a telephone right in front of them. It's like, what the hell is going on? Very Rambo-esque. I really thought when they got put in the back of the truck and the truck started driving off that we were going to get some kind of like Ocean's Eleven or some other kind of thing where it was going to be uh, the Inglorious Bastards driving the truck. Oh, yeah. His people driving the truck. I like how after he's done choking Shoshana, he goes white dinner jacket and then we cut to pit and he's getting bum rushed <laughs> and so uh during all of this donnie and elmer are sitting in the audience they have these bombs strapped to their uh legs and now it's we're getting to that time well we also get the little side story of shoshana and her man uh setting up for the burning down everything yeah and so we know that even if these bombs don't go off she still got her plan going that nobody knows about. Yeah, well, uh, Shoshana and the bastards have this plan to take out the entire theater, but neither of them know of each other's existence. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, what'd you guys think of Fodder coming up to the projection booth? What'd you guys think of this bit? Well, that was, I was going to bring that up, is even before he comes up, did you notice his reactions while he was watching the movie? 
I started to kind of feel for him because he was watching that movie and you could tell he even he didn't like the violence in it. He wasn't getting into the movie, you know, the celebrating him killing all those people. Because didn't you see him kind of looking away and looking off to the side and kind of cringing? And yeah, what, what's your question? Well, I just started to feel for him. Did you start to think that maybe he wasn't going to be a bad guy in the end? Did I feel like a Nazi was not going to be a bad guy in the end? That no, guy? Not even once. Okay, you never felt for him at all. He's a fucking Nazi. No, I don't. Okay. I didn't either. Yeah, I, I didn't feel for him either. Like, I... I think even though he's showing disgust at the film, I still think he loves the attention and the spotlight of it. Like he likes to play off the, or the way he plays it in my, or how they show it to us, I think is that like he pretends he doesn't like the spotlight, but like on the inside, he's kind of like egotistical and, and uh, what, caught up in it. And what sells it for me is when Shoshana tells him to fuck off, he kicks the door open. Yep. Well, that's where I figured, I, I thought maybe they were going to start some kind of redemption arc, but when he kicked that door open, that ended it right there. I, th I think he just thought, like, with the fame and attention he was getting, it was like he could, like, have whatever he wanted, and that's why he kept so, so harshly pursuing her, because she just kept... Right, he's a fucking him. Nazi. He takes what he wants. Yeah. That's what they all did. But I think Shoshana is brilliant in what she does. Clearly, he's not going anywhere, and this can turn out really fucking bad, or she can say, all right, fucker, go lock the door. And he he's like, oh, okay. His tone really changes because he thinks he's going to get something, right? Mm -hmm. She goes to her purse, pulls out a gun, shoots him. Fucking brilliant. My issue is, why doesn't she not walk up to him and shoot him in the fucking head? I knew he wasn't dead. I knew he was going to come back. Oh, yeah. I and I knew, and, and the first time I see this, and I knew that he's going to kill her, which was a bummer because I, I was rooting for Shoshana. I really was. But I've, I don't know if she thought of it as a kamikaze mission either or if she was going to leave. I thought for sure she was on a kamikaze as well. The way she made that film, uh, everything. The only person I thought who wasn't a kamikaze was her boyfriend because he still had the exit out the back door. And he gets away. Yeah, he gets yeah. away. Oh, he does? I thought that when he throws it, like the fire spreads in, I thought he was going out too. Uh -huh. Like I thought they all had that understanding of it was a one Oh, maybe deal. he did. I just assumed. Oh, I'm thinking he when he leaves, it's to go into the yeah. back and to light the it. Yeah, maybe he does. Door. I assumed he got away just because he could have backed out the back door. She, on the other hand, he had her, or she had him lock all of the doors and put bars on the doors from the outside. So there was no way out for her. No, that was just for the theater. That was no way out for them. I thought that she was planning on getting out alive. But so she was I. stuck just like everybody else inside the theater. Because remember, he took the bars, and as he was walking around the outside, he put the bars to the doors. So there was yep. no way for her to open up the doors either. But that's but, from the theater versus like the lobby, and maybe oh. they have different... Uh, that was my oh. guess, but I right. still... That's what I thought, too. I, I thought he walked around to the back alley and came in the back side of the theater. He does after he locks all yeah. the doors from... He locks the interior doors... So they can't get out of the theater, mm -hmm. and then he walks outside. I don't know if he walked, locked well, the exterior doors or not, but it doesn't fucking matter because well, she died, which was fucking stupid. Mm -hmm. But I guess it had to end that way. But probably get dying from a bullet wound is better than burning to death. I would agree. <laughs> well, I well I don't know. It depends on where you get shot. Did you hear? No, about, I think I would agree. <laughs> did you hear about the filming of that fire sequence? No. Uh, the two actors, uh, the two bastards. They almost died during that. It got so hot. It was over, what, 300 degrees, something like that. During the filming, they got, like, first and second degree burns from yeah. that fire scene. I don't doubt it. And this is probably my favorite scene in the movie because this is, even though it didn't happen and people are all, oh, it didn't happen, there's a moment where uh, 
Eli Roth, they take care of the two gun, the two guards, right? With those little mm-hmm. uh, wrist pistols, whatever, which I thought was pretty good. But when they walk in and then they just start gunning down Hitler, part of you is like, fuck yeah. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And uh, I love the camera shot that we have of Shoshona in the smoke up on the where the screen used to be. And now it's because of the smoke, we can see the silhouette. Yeah. Yes, very well done. And I like how, and this tells you probably a lot about me, but I like how when, they, when they're when they on the balcony and then they lean over, and it's just like shooting fish in a barrel. What did you guys think of this whole bit? I remember the very first time I watched this movie, I, I again, I thought it was going to like stick to a more historical or like altered history kind of way where I was thinking like how on earth is like Hitler and the German high command going to get out of this? Cause I still thought that's how it was going to end was in a failed mission. And then I remembered, like, I think I was just so set on that being the outcome that when it did change, it was like satisfying watching Hitler get blown to bits, but then also being like, this just seems like a, like, again, I think you mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but it was like kind of like pompous on the director to be like, Oh, I'm just going to rewrite history in my own way. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, but I guess if you were going to rewrite history, this would be a good history to rewrite. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Well, I would say like my opinions definitely changed the more times I've watched this, but my first viewing, that was kind of my thought. I was like, eh, I don't really like how this played out. I think the first time I saw it, I was kind of indifferent to it because I thought, ah, he changed history. Yeah. Okay. I guess whatever. And then time goes on. And then when I watched it again, I appreciated it more. As funny as it sounds, I think I the first time or the first couple times I watched the movie, I took it a little bit more seriously, and with each viewing, I take it as like a lighter movie each time. Sure, and that makes the ending more acceptable to me. Sure, as this does have like a movie inside of a movie. Do you know who made the Nation's Pride movie? E- Eli Roth. Eli Roth directed that, I and heard. and one of the actors from the original Inglorious Bastards is in that movie. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and the director of the original Glorious Bastards is one of the Nazi leaders in the theater, and he yells, fire! And he gets burned up. Uh, he, <clears throat> Quentin went to him and said, can I have the rights to Inglorious Bastards? And he said, yes, on two conditions. One, I get to be in the movie, and two, I forget what the second condition well, he was. Wanted, but, yeah. He wanted to act out a certain scene, which... It's funny because in the original The Inglorious Bastards, directed by this Italian director, that's exactly what he did in the movie. He put himself in the movie yelling fire. Yeah. And so he wanted to reenact the same scene. I guess the him yelling fire got cut from the movie, though. Yeah, it wasn't in there. They did still have him in the movie, but he didn't yell it. Right. Uh, Quentin Tarantino was actually uh, a voice in the Nation's Pride movie uh, where he, I guess he had some speaking lines, so that was his kind of cameo in the movie. Sure. Sure. Uh, it's on the DVD. Did you guys ever watch it? Mm-mm. Yes. What'd you think? It was comical. It was. It was. I watched it last night. Yeah. And then, so while all of this is going on, Reigns and Ulmer get uh, kidnapped and they're taken to this place. And now this is where we learn that uh, Londa is going to cut a deal. We're going to try and cut a deal. And what I think sells this for me is the look of disgust on... Pitt's face the entire time. Like, are you fucking kidding me? This is really going to go down. And even when, uh, you know, Londa's talking to the superiors and says, I want this and I want this and, and this a house and, and this. Tuck it. And Brad Pitt gets onto the horn and uh, the general dude's like, you're going to give him this. And he's just like, yes, sir. But you knew. You knew 
that something, something had to happen. And so they go through the plan. Um, I like the conversation between Londa and Pitt here. I think that these are two heavyweights and they're going toe to toe. And I give the edge to Londa a little bit. Uh, but Brad Pitt definitely holds his own with Chris, Christoph Waltz in this scene. Uh, just going back to when they first capture him, I just find the scene so hilarious where he has the hood on and Londa's saying, like, I finally, like, have my hands on you and just pokes him. And then uh, Brad Pitt's, like, jerking back from that. And then what does Brad Pitt do? He just fucking slams him. He headbutts him because yeah. that's what Reigns would do. And he knows where he is because he pumped. <laughs> so good. So we cut to the forest and... We are now at the American lines. And so they're supposed to trade, right? It is now that they are going to be, uh, the Germans are now prisoners and the Americans are now the ones that are responsible for transporting them. And out of this two hour and 33 minute movie, this bit from the time they stop, get out of the truck to the very end is probably my favorite because just the way it all plays out, right? They get out. They switch custody and immediately they shoot the radio up. Are you mad? And, I, I and, knew the point where they took the handcuffs off reins. Oh, shit was about to go down. And I love how Alanda's all, you can't do that. We made a deal. We made a deal. And he's You'll like, be shot for this. He goes, I don't know about shot. It's like, I'll nah, get chewed out. More like chewed out. Yeah. I've been chewed out before. Yeah. And then he says, Elmer, give me that scalp. And when you get to your little place on Nantucket Island, I'm asking you, going to take off that handsome-looking SS uniform of yours? Ain't you? And the pure the twitch, panic. The twitch that he gives. It's the panic on Londa's face because he knows something's about to happen. And he that's knows. that's the panic I'm talking, I was talking about earlier. That's the, that's the bit in this movie that I'm just like, oh, you're so fucked. I'm going to give you something that you can't take off. What would you guys think of the whole carving bit? Badass. Looked so good. Yes, it did. I mean, <laughs> that's a weird way of saying that. You really out in yourself, this movie. Maybe. Uh, the practical effects looked fucking brilliant. Yeah. The only thing for me was, if that's happening on my forehead, I would not be laying still. They're holding them down, though, I think. Yeah, yeah. but still, my head... <laughs> You'd be squirming. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, probably. But still. Yeah. I actually think getting cut up like that on your head is like quicker to get it over and done with than if you'd done it on like your arm or another part of your body because like it's just very thin skin up yeah here, but you did know? you like, see how deep that yeah, blade no, was it, going like, that the blade's definitely like riding along Ugh. the bone in the skull there but still then <laughs> he says that might be some of my finer or that might be my masterpiece S- smash cut to the credits directed by and that's inglorious bastards fucking good fucking good mm-hmm Welcome to a new segment we like to call Face the Wheel. The premise is simple. I will spin the wheel on whatever category comes up. John and Don will apply it to the movie we are reviewing. Once they have presented their idea, it's up to you, the listeners. Let us know via social media or our website which idea you like best. Here are the categories. Mashup. Plot. Rename. Genre, reboot, fuck it. I liked it better when it was called Spin Again. Pick any. Add any character from any movie. So here we go.
rename. And you can't use once upon a time in Nazi Germany. God damn it. Will you get out of my fucking head? That's what, exactly what I was going to do. I thought about that earlier. All right. I got mine. You got yours? Uh, I'm thinking. I think so. Nolan, you got one? I've got a. I've got one. I don't, it's, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Mine is going to be, if I was going to name, uh, rename Inglorious Bastards, I would rename it Kill Adolf, Volume 1. Volume 1? So you'd split up into two movies? Sure. Okay. Uh, because of the way that, you know, Quentin Tarantino likes to spell things, uh, I would have a special spelling for this movie. It would be Nazi Hunters. Nazi Hunters? Or, yeah, Nazi Killers. I like Hunters. But, yeah, I, I hear where you're going. Uh, I've kind of got, got two, but I would say one of them's kind of more, blind, like, Operation Kino. Was what came to mind. Like, oh, that, that's not a bad one. I like that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. What is the other one? Uh, the other one, maybe make it a little more abstract, like just Shoshana or something like that. Well, that's not horrible. Every time I hear Shoshana, I don't know why, I jump right back to Ferris Bueller when uh, What's-Her-Name is sitting in the police precinct. Shoshana! And they sing that song, Shoshana. Oh. <laughs> I, keep, I keep hearing someone going, Shoshana. And there you have it, listeners. Let us know via social media or our website, who you thought had the better use of category. And that concludes this week's Face the Wheel. What do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. Johnny, are you ready to rate this flick? What? What is that American expression? If the shoe fits, you must review it. <laughs> Hey, Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. A one fuck movie is a movie where you watched it once and you know you're never going to watch it again. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is, oh, for shit's sake, what the hell? Why did you make me watch this movie? I want two hours and 33 minutes of my life back. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. Hey there, Mr. Nolan. I asked you if you wanted to go first last week and you declined. How about this week? Would you like to go first? I would love to go first this week. Look at this guy. He's fucking prepared. I love it. <laughs> Fire away there, tough guy. I think guy. he's aiming for one of our jobs. He can have my job. You want to be the host? I, I think I need a little more experience. Pad the resume a little more. Yeah. That's smart if, if smart anybody, answer. If anybody has a lot of experience, that would be Don. Inglorious Bastards is a Tarantino movie. I think for most people, that means they either love it or hate it. For me, that usually means I hate watching it the first time, love watching it the second time, and liking it less and less with every viewing after that. Inglorious Bastards is no exception. There are some parts of the movie that really stand out to me, such as the opening scenes at the farm, and the scene where Shoshana and Hans meet again in the cafe, and the scene in the basement of the bar. Without these scenes, this movie just isn't that interesting and really just falls flat overall with a few laughs here and there. Christoph Waltz is one of my favorite actors of all time, and his performance in this film salvages the experience for me. Without him, this is a two-fuck movie, but with him in it, it's a 2.75 fucks for me. 2.75 fucks from Nolan. Huh. Yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> but hey, man, that's your opinion. Uh, I guess it was my pick, so I'll go next. You go next. Thanks, buddy. Uh, Inglorious Bastards, I think, got better this viewing. I do think that it drags just a little bit, but I think a lot of Tarantino movies drag just a little bit. But that's his style. He has this 
voice that he wants heard and he wants you, the audience, to uh, really feel or get immersed in the experience that you're having. And we've said it all night long. You either love Tarantino or you hate him. And I fall on the spectrum of loving him. Uh, is this in my top five Quentin Tarantino movies? Probably not. The way he shoots his films, the way he tells his stories, and how he is so consistent in everything that he does, down to the credits, to shots, to music, you know you are definitely, definitely watching a Quentin Tarantino movie. Uh, I don't mind that he changes history. I think I have more of a problem with it in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but if we ever review that, we'll get into it. Overall, Unglorious Bastards, for me, is... 3.75 fucks. All right. Who wants to go next? Me, 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 me. Nine, 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 nine. All right. Go ahead, buddy. Thank you. So in Glorious Bastards, I think is a very well done movie. I appreciate the writing and I love the camera work that we get from this movie. Hans Landa, such a chillingly uh, terrifying character that's been created and just anytime he's on the screen, you know, there is just uncertainty as to how things are going to go. I really enjoy Brad Pitt in this as well. Aldo Rain, a very fun character. And the movie is long. I, I agree with that, but it doesn't feel too long. And I think that each one of the five chapters has real gems of moments in each one of the five chapters. Having the, uh, the movie not necessarily have um, a lot of music to it. There is some music, and it certainly does make it feel like a Western in so far as, the, as I pointed out before, the lawlessness, the lawlessness and, you know, the fact that, you know, you are on your own. And it, it just makes for such a perilous feeling. And yet, you know, for the most part, the movie does kind of work out. I, I thought that the ending... I don't know. It it was a satisfying ending, even though we had several of our characters not make it to the end of the movie. I think that this movie is uh, one of Quentin Tarantino's stronger movies. I still love Pulp Fiction the most, but um, it's not quite as good as the Kill Bill movies. So with that, I'm giving this 4.5 fucks. 4.5 fucks from the professor. You're oh, up. it's my turn? Yes, sir. Okay, but before I go... Oh, you remembered this time. Well, yes, I did. Would you like to guess what my rating is going to be? <sighs> you know, coming into this, I figured you're definitely in the three range. All right. I think that you were going to give Inglorious Bastards... Three point five fucks. Three point five is that your final answer? Uh, no, three point two five. That's your final. That's answer. my final answer. That's your final answer. Yeah, okay, yeah. then. There are many things to love about Tarantino movies: the story, the music, the action, the way he sets things up, and my personal favorite, the dialogue. This movie definitely delivered on all of those elements. It even had callbacks to previous movies like Kill Bill, which were fun. Film-wise, I would say this is definitely up there with some of Tarantino's best films. But I have to agree with Professor, it's not quite one of his best films. 
the actors, they definitely delivered phenomenal performances. But here is where my own personal issues come in. For anyone who has listened to previous podcasts, you know I'm not a big fan of war films, and I especially hate reading movies uh, that I'm watching. I find it distracts me from what's going on on the screen. But that's just me personally, and it doesn't take anything away from Tarantino or his style of movie making. I also don't know if Tarantino was going for this, but at times it made the Allied forces seem almost as evil as the Nazis they were hunting. At times it made me ask, who is the good guys in this movie? And if that's the point, if that's what Tarantino was going for, I think he did a fantastic job. It's in these cases like this that where my rating is coming from. I have to split it down the middle and base part of the score on the technical merits and the other on my own personal bias. Is it a movie that I enjoyed, would rewatch, and would I recommend it to others? Technically, like I said, it's an amazing film. I can't fault too much in this film except for a few minor issues here and there. Regarding did I enjoy it? Not as as much as I enjoyed other Tarantino movies. It's just not my cup of tea. Would I rewatch it? No. Would I recommend it? If you love Tarantino movies, you definitely should see it at least once. And if you love war flicks, it could easily become a staple in your movie watching. So yeah, I can see myself recommending this to other folks. So it's for those reasons I'm giving Inglorious Bastards three and a quarter fucks. Ooh, that's a bingo. That puts your batting average for this year so far at 833. That's not too bad. That's not a bad batting average. That's an awesome batting average. It's not bad. It's not a thousand percent, but no, you know. Your lifetime batting average, though, is 777. Is it really? Mm -hmm. I like that number. Yeah. I'm glad that you're keeping my lifetime batting average. I could have sworn he was a 666. (laughs) I'm with you, guy. I thought I thought I was six 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 too. Well done. With three point two five fucks from the comic book guy, four point five fucks from the professor, and three point two five fucks from yours truly, that gives Inglorious Bastards an average of three point eight fucks, which puts it in the fourteenth spot, tied with True Lies, Step Brothers, Silver Linings Playbook, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Rambo: First Blood Part Two. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Die Hard 2, Die Harder. It is slightly better than The Cabin in the Woods, Fallen, Hell or High Water, The Muppet Movie, and The Blues Brothers. And it is slightly worse than The Suicide Squad, Moonrise Kingdom, The Descent, and The Batman. So there you have it. That is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out our website. Speaking of which, John, where can they find us? You can find us at www.threeguysinaflick.com where we post all of our show notes, podcasts, as well as anything else we feel like putting there. There's also a form on there where you can suggest movies you would like to go in the Bronco Helmet for us to review next or just give us some comments and feedback. You can find us at all of social media or any place that hosts podcasts. And if you are listening to our podcast on one of those podcast hosts, be sure to go ahead and give us a comment, a like, whatever. It really helps the show. I just want to thank Nolan for coming out and talking in Glorious Bastards with us. Did you have a good time? Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks awesome. for having me on again. Absolutely. I say you keep him locked up in the basement. I think I might. That's I why I might. we put him back in the chest. 
Right. You know, the gimp? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's the gimp. We got to get him that mask. What do you mean? For next week. What do you mean, got to? How do you know I didn't already? Oh, awesome. Nice. Way to think ahead. Right, right, right. And I want to send a special thank you to Ronnie, Haley, and Colby for suggesting this movie. We had a lot of fun reviewing it. Hopefully you had a lot of fun listening to it. I also want to thank anyone who has listened and who has suggested a movie. If you keep listening, we'll keep recording. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. I'm Ken. And I'm Nolan. I want my 100 scalps. Standin Standart Fear. All right, this ought to be fun. We could do a joke if you want with Nolan. Uh that Nolan is joining us again this week and he'll be like, I, I never left your basement. I, <laughs> I've been here the whole I, week. I couldn't I couldn't get out, man. I couldn't find my way out. Go. So yeah, I'm still here. And now it's fucking Sunday. The other option What's is, it, what's his name? Savichovich? Yudovich. We gotta insert the sound effect before the hay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's going to help, but I will do it. And to my left, we have the Jew Hunter. This is Ken. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, I just want to see the reaction. I got it. Look. It's because Professor had to take your computer. Yep. Sounds like 60 Minutes. Tonight on 60 Minutes. I'm Marley Safer. Safer. Safer shocked you knew that i'm pretty impressed my dad made us watch it all the time so did mine it's a good show it's not a good show no. when you're fucking 12 years old dude no. don okay look at me stan darton fewer stan darton fewer stan darton fewer and nazis stan <laughs> and then uh as this soldier is describing to adolf what's happening Aldo, uh, you said adolf Huh? You said Adolf. It's Aldo. No, he's... Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I I thought you were talking about Aldo still. Never mind. Uh, Shut up. My computer died, so hang on. I got to bring up the... Oh, my God. I know. This is so unprofessional. I know. (laughs) Professor's like, oh, let's watch some 60 Minutes. He is, what, 15 years older than us? (laughs) That's being nice. (laughs) (laughs) I got one. What do you got? I feel like I'm channeling... The professor this week because i think mine is just that good oh yeah yeah but i want to know professor you got one not really what no. about you there guy do you got one i need to think about it all right go ahead bud in gloria's back end <laughs> <laughs> i like that and that does definitely channel the professor in gloria's back end i like that uh i had in horniest bastards that's about as lame as i got what about you yeah the inglorious bastards hole Oh, a little play on glory hole. I like that too. I could do in glorious back hole. In glories. I like in glorias. Yeah. <laughs> I think that one's going to win this week. All right. May all of your uh, days and nights be filled with happiness. All right. Fuck off. Good night. <laughs>